Why is it so hard for us to keep with our New Year's resolution to lose weight? What is mindful eating? When should someone consider weight loss surgery? All that and more on this episode of The Healthiest You. Hi there, it's Mike and Steph from B104, and today we're talking weight loss because it's the number one New Year's resolution year after year. Did you make a New Year's resolution this year? Uh, No, I didn't because (laughs) I know... I'm not going to keep it. I know. <laughs> How about you? Did you make one? Um, you know what? I, I don't know if I just changed the name of it. I'm not, I'm not calling it New Year's resolution. I am, I'm calling it a new way of looking at life. Yeah, what'd, you, you made the, what'd you say? You made micro resolutions? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Little yeah. tiny things. Yeah. And you know, little steps are always bigger than big steps. And I read that 80% of people have dropped their New Year's resolution by the second week of February. Wow. How are you doing with yours? Well, I'm, I'm there. It's micro. So <laughs> I'm making micro success. Well, we'll have Cheryl Rokowskis, registered dietitian at the Weight Management Center at Lehigh Valley Health Network on the show with us today to give us some advice on how to find health in the new year. We'll also have Dr. Richard Boris with LVPG General Bariatric and Trauma Surgery on a little later to talk about surgical weight loss. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. So why is it so hard for so many of us to keep with our New Year's resolution to lose weight? Well, I think you both hinted at the exact reason. And I think, you know, resolutions typically are very broad and pretty big, right? Changes to make. And we know that that might not be sustainable. So I like your idea of these micro resolutions. I think that's actually the key, focusing on small, measurable goals, right? To get to, to get us to where we need to be. Now, as a registered dietitian, How do you help people get healthy? Well, you know, what we try to do as dietitians is first break down the science of behavior change um, into very, you know, relatable strategies for day-to-day life. Uh, This could really be working with a client, especially in weight management, right? I will work with a client, listen to their health goals, um, and then help them strategize ways to get them to meet their goals. This could be based on education. It could be... Um, talking to them about cooking or recipes, different food items. It could be giving them support or just coaching, right, throughout their journey. Um, the whole the whole idea is to help them develop these strategies to optimize their success to meet their health goals. So as you kind of described, you know, reaching their goals, uh, many people think it's just a matter of finding willpower, but really there's a lot of other components involved. Oh, correct, correct. That willpower is a trigger word here at the Weight Management Center. And <laughs> we have our behavioral health specialists who, you know, really don't believe in that term, you know, because um, really just feeling like you can, you know, muster through it isn't really um, the re- reality of life. There are so many challenges that we face. And so here at the Weight Management Center, we have a team approach to really help you meet your goals. Um, we have uh, behavioral health specialists, we have our bariatricians and our retro dietitians who will all work with a, a patient individually to really help them um, create a lifelong lifestyle change. And that's really what we know is going to be sustainable in, in terms of meeting their weight loss goals and their health, improving their overall health. Now, I got to ask this question because you can't go on social media, you can't watch television without some kind of new fad diet. Yes screaming through, this is the one, you're going to lose 25 pounds in a day. I mean, they're all these new fad <laughs> diets. Which one of these, if any, actually work in the long term? Well, that's a great question. It's a question I think I get asked all the time as a dietitian. 
And, you know, the honest response is there is some scientific evidence in some of these approaches that, you know, they're not, they're not all based on, on just kind of myths, that there are some really good science behind it. However, um, there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to weight loss, right? And a lot of these um, diets, whether it be keto or Atkins or paleo, um, they all tend to restrict a food group, whether it's sugar or carbs or fat, which overall reduce calories, which will promote that nice weight loss. And that's usually the goal. Um, however, they also tend to be very restrictive. And we know that the more restrictive we are, um, the less sustainable, right, that plan can be. And therefore, that leads us to that quick, you know, weight loss, but also that likelihood of that weight regain. What non-food-related aspects contribute to our eating habits? I know, for for example, I uh, tend to eat a lot more if I'm stressed out or if something hasn't quite worked out in my favor. So what other non-food-related aspects contribute to our eating habits? Yeah, so that's a broad topic that's called that emotional eating, which is, you know, not a physical-driven um, need to eat. And, and you've mentioned some of the top ones, right? So um, the boredom eating, and we've kind of felt that a little bit around this COVID, right, situation where we're all home, um, and that stress eating as well um, as a coping strategy. But sometimes just habitual or routine eating can really sneak up on us, um, where we would, you know, at nighttime to relax, the, the traditional, right, American lifestyle is after dinner, everybody kind of gathers around, maybe watches the TV, and basically kind of the snacks kind of come out. So even if you're not hungry, you're stimulated to eat at a certain time of day. Um, so that's a big one. And and that can be a visual stimulant. I think a lot of us are what we call visual eaters. And so that's where a lot of our behaviors will say, you know, the food commercials, if you ever notice at night, you know, they're all triggering us to grab something. And so, so there's a lot of that environmental um, kind of category that really influences us, not only our emotions, um, but just the, the likelihood of a coworker grabbing some, some, some snacks. And all of a sudden you're like, I think I can have a snack. <laughs> and then you kind of go looking for that or the classic, you know, walk into the break room and I just came to fill up my water, but now I see that there's something on the, on the table, you know, someone brought in a treat. And so I didn't really want the brownie, but it's there. So now I'm thinking about the brownie, right? And I go back to my office, but that brownie's still in my head, right? I'm still kind of contemplating wanting it. And we all kind of do these and have these little minor food decisions throughout the day. And that can really, you know, help us, you know, you know, stay on track if we are prepared. Uh, but a lot of times it kind of helps, it kind of makes us fall off track. I think I've lost five pounds alone because no one on the station has brought in food. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, there's a, always a new term each year. The one I've heard a lot now is mindful eating. Can you explain that to us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the, the definition of mindful eating is, you know, being aware of your habits and routines that are associated with food. Um, basically understand why you're eating, when you're eating. Um, you know, there's a whole process of, you know, the, the sensorial, you know, relationship with food. You know, what does it taste like? And, you know, how, how much should I chew my food? So it goes into a, a very much in depth of the whole eating style. But in general, that term mindfulness, um, really can come into some, some other strategies, which is really just being prepared. You know, to be more mindful, we should kind of have a plan. Uh, a lot of times we get we get set up into these traps where if we don't have a plan, we are looking for and scavenging for whatever we could eat, uh, which usually is driven by our hunger and cravings and tends to be things that are maybe not on our on our you know nutrition plan. Um, tend to be maybe higher in fat, sugar, or carbs, which which are the kind of dangerous things that we know will kind of lead to those those you know maybe extra pounds. 
So, you know, creating shopping lists, bringing your meals and snacks to work, having that plan is a really good strategy for kind of being more mindful in general. A lot of us are super busy all of the time and, you know, you're not going to like deep dive into like a a diet or whatever. So what are some uh, other practical tips people can use to eat healthier? So a few simple things, and I'm sure you've heard this time and time again, but they're classic and they work. Um, And the first one is just avoid anything that has liquid calories or sugar. Um, That's always, I always say that's the gateway to weight gain if we're drinking sugary beverages, you know. Um, And we can't forget about our coffee drinks because that's one that we forget sometimes. We're like, I don't do juice or sodas or lemonade, but I get a coffee every morning and there's something in there, right, that has some sweetness to it. So be careful with with those kinds of, of beverages. Um, increasing water intake, you know, a lot of times, you know, talking about mindful eating as well, you know, are we hungry? Are we thirsty? You know, understanding that sometimes we would be, you know, low on our fluid intake throughout the day and kind of wrap and grab a a piece of food over a beverage. And so increasing that water is going to help with that. And then overall, moving more, you know, I think a lot of us have exercise goals and activity plans, but I just think, you know, getting a pedometer and just Track your steps to see just how active we are. Um, I know, especially with, you know, the pandemic hit and COVID, it's like, wow, I was tracking my steps and they were very low, hundreds of steps per day. Like that was it, right? Versus the thousands that are, are recommended. So I think having that, moving more, getting more water, not taking any of those miscellaneous sugars and planning. You know, I always start my clients off with plan one meal per day. Know what you're having at least for one meal to kind of get you started. That's very informative. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Next up, we have Dr. Richard Borse with LVPG General Bariatric and Trauma Surgery at Lehigh Valley Health Network to talk to us about surgical weight loss. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Steph. Uh, Thanks for having me this afternoon. Our pleasure. Listen, we have to ask you this right off the bat. Did you make a New Year's resolution this year? Well, this New Year's obviously wasn't too exciting for many reasons. Uh, and I did not make a specific resolution, but my wife and I are trying to declutter our house and get oh. rid of some of those things that are just taking up space and making us less efficient. So that, that's our, our, our goal, I think. How, how's that going, by the way? Is that going well with you and the wife? You guys still uh, together? Because I know I tried it at my house, and for a while I lived outside. <laughs> Is everything, it's all good? My, my, my wife says, can I throw this out? And there's usually a little bit of fighting before she wins. <laughs> that's, that's <how> <laughs> yep. There you go. Yes, indeed. Uh, so weight loss is always a popular New Year's resolution. And I imagine with the pandemic, even more people are wanting to get healthy. And I know a lot of people who are overweight are concerned that if they get COVID-19, there will be complications. So can you speak a little bit about how COVID-19 affects someone who is overweight? This has been a Unfortunately, a very tough year for weight gain because of all the stresses, gyms being closed, people's routines being upset. The average patient's gained about 20 pounds this year. Um, uh, and as far as COVID goes, obese patients are definitely at increased risk of severe illness from COVID. Um, the T- obesity is actually a higher quality risk factor than diabetes and or hypertension. And particularly in younger patients, when you look at statistical analysis, people younger than 60 are twice as likely to be hospitalized from COVID if they are obese. And then once hospitalized, they're difficult, more difficult to treat. Um, it makes them uh, tougher to care for with intubation, testing, 
positioning because many of these case patients are uh, put in a prone position uh, to improve their oxygenation and also uh, just transport management of obese patients. So it's definitely uh, a, a severe risk factor, an independent factor actually for poor outcome from COVID. Hey, I have a question for you. How can people know if they're a good candidate for surgical weight loss? I mean, when should you make the shift from traditional dieting to looking for other options? So, you know, our typical patient comes to us and we take a diet history and it's, it's a repeating story. They'll, they might list five or six diets down one side of the page and it's almost always the same. They lost 10, gained 20, lost 20, gained 40. They go on a diet for a while, it works, they stop it and it comes back, weight comes back with a vengeance. So when people uh, have had not successful attempts at losing weight uh, with medical means, and their weight is beginning to affect their health, that's when they're, they should definitely consider weight loss surgery. Um, you know, the, if you look at the statistics about dieting, only about 5% of people can lose 10% of their body weight and keep it off. So uh, you know, I still encourage people to diet, but statistically, it's very hard to do. Uh, and that's where weight loss surgery comes in. Um, uh, the, the medical criteria uh, that we use to determine if somebody is a uh, candidate for weight loss surgery, uh, and often criteria that are determined by insurance companies actually are based from 1991 consensus conference at the National Institute of Health that determined that if a patient had a BMI or a body mass index greater than 40, and that's a calculation that you can do online, there's tables are readily available. So if a body mass index is greater than 40, or if a patient has a body mass index in the window between 35 and 40, and they already have weight-related comorbidities such as type 2 diabetes, sleep apnea, or hypertension, then they would be good candidates for uh, weight loss surgery. And those are the people that insurance companies often approve. You may have already touched on this, uh, just talking about diabetes and everything, but can someone with pre-existing conditions have weight loss surgery? Absolutely. And that's all the more reason to do it. Often, you know, people, you know, weight is a slowly progressing thing. You don't wake up one morning and all of a sudden you're overweight. It comes on insidiously, uh, but the aha moment for many people is when they're diagnosed with severe hypertension or, or diabetes in particular. Once uh, a medical doctor puts a patient on medicine for diabetes, often that a light goes off and, oh my gosh, this is due to my weight. I need to do something about it. And that's often the thing that triggers somebody to pursue a surgical approach to weight loss. So medical comorbidities are had more than one medical comorbidities that most of our patients have. But as I said before, uh, uh, diabetes, uh, uh, sleep apnea, hypertension, heart failure, all these things are very common. The And these are exactly the reasons we are, why we do weight loss surgery, because these are weight-related complications. Uh, uh, and we actually can these problems with weight loss surgery. So if we look at diabetes, for instance, type 2 diabetes, we're able to cure that 83% of the time with weight loss surgery. Hypertension, we can cure about 67% of the time because there's factors other than your weight that affect your blood pressure, but weight is a big factor. And sleep apnea, for instance, we're able to get people off of their CPAP machines and cure their sleep apnea about 80% of the time. Wow. That is great. Okay, so I try all the diets. I can't lose the weight. After I've decided to get the surgery, what can I expect? And do they meet with nutritionists or other members of your team once they've decided I'm going to get this done? So the answer is absolutely they do. So the typical patient gets to us 
through, we do free information sessions. And if a patient would want to call 888-402-LVHN, that's the hospital referral line, and ask about uh, weight loss surgery information sessions, they'll be happy to refer them to them. And prior to COVID, we were doing these all in person. And we have a, a room out at Levi Cedarcrest, and we also do some at Muhlenberg and some of the outside hospitals where we would get 50 or 60 patients come uh, and to listen to about an hour and a half presentation to help them determine if weight loss surgery is appropriate for them or not. Currently, since the virus is around, we've been doing those uh, uh, through Zoom meetings. And you don't even have to leave your house. We can come right to your living room to a Zoom meeting that's live and we can answer questions. Uh, and uh, this gives patients information. And then following that, if they feel they'd like to pursue further, then we enroll all patients in a preoperative program. The length of the preoperative program is dependent somewhat upon your insurance company. So most insurers mandate a preoperative program that is either three or six months. We mandate that that program is at least a full three-month program because that makes the patient a better patient. It educates them. It teaches them how to shop, portion control, exercise, stresses that lead to eating. Uh, and we uh, we have a fantastic preoperative program that people go through. When you're initially, patients initially told they have to go through three months, they're kind of disappointed that they can't walk in and have their surgery away. But after the program's over, they will universally tell me that they couldn't imagine embarking upon this weight loss surgery journey without having the education that we provide ahead of time. Additionally, the same team follows people up postoperatively. So we've got uh, monthly weight loss support groups that meet. Uh, uh, to help keep people on track uh, and to uh, help them with any hurdles that they might encounter along the way. So if you ask the average person, you know, what what do they think weight loss surgery is, they probably have one idea of, of what weight loss surgery is, but there are different types. Can you um, tell us about the different types of weight loss surgery and how can people choose which is the best option for them? Well, you're absolutely correct. You know, weight loss surgery has been in evolution for many years. Um, and it historically in the public has had a very scary or dangerous connotation to it, that it was dangerous surgery. Uh, and maybe 30 years ago, that was true. However, today, if you look at weight loss surgeries, they're actually the safest procedures that are done in our hospital. When we look statistically, it's safer than getting a hip replaced or getting your gallbladder out or appendix surgery even. Um, uh, and we do them in, in a very high volume. For instance, at Lehigh Valley Health Network, uh, uh, in, with all the institutions together, we've done, we do about a thousand procedures a year now. Uh, and Lehigh Valley Cedarcrest as a standalone hospital actually is the highest volume weight loss surgery hospital in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, the two main procedures that we do are the laparoscopic ruin gastric bypass and the laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomy. Um, we had done lap bands in the past. Uh, but currently, they've fallen by the wayside because these other procedures have really uh, passed them in uh, results and safety. Um, uh, and so those two main primary operations we do, we also do revisional procedures. So if somebody's had a weight loss surgery in the past at another, another institution and have not achieved their desired results, and we find it not just because they're not using the tool the right way, but there's something wrong with the tool, we often do revisional procedures to help them refine their surgery to get restarted on a weight loss path. The operations, as I said, are done laparoscopically, meaning in a minimally invasive fashion through small holes. Usually it's just a one-night stay. Um, and many of the surgeries today are we do, we're doing robotically. 
which you know facilitates uh, us doing the procedures much better for patients, especially with more of the complex procedures or, or, or revisional procedures. Wow. Well, Dr. Boris, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. I really think we learned a lot today. Uh, thanks for having me, and you guys stay safe. If you'd like to learn more about surgical weight loss, visit lvhn.org slash weight loss and sign up for a free virtual info session. And remember, be safe, be smart, be the healthiest you.